570. An L.A. sports icon. Fred Rogan is here tonight. Decades on your television covering Los Angeles sports. Fred Rogan, huge in Los Angeles. The Dean. I'm the Dean. Fred, Fred Rogan. Rogan. Weekdays before Petros and Money. A USC All-American. USC's Rodney Pete. An NFL quarterback. Absolutely perfectly delivered by Rodney, Rodney Pete. Available on the iHeartRadio app or on am570lasports.com. This is Rogan and Rodney. Oh, all right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Listen, we've got a special edition of Rogan and Rodney today. Uh, it is Wednesday, a hump day, a flex day, um, and we are flexing. I know we're normally on at, at noon, but today we're on at 2. We're go all the way to 530. As you just heard, Petros and Money from live from Chargers training camp. Fred and I will actually be out there tomorrow morning. 9 to uh, 11.30, I believe, is, is with the time that we're going to be out there. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But today, we are flexing. And Fred, right now, is on Olympic duty. So who better to bring in to flex with me than my man? He is the pride of Silmar High School. Played for the Jacksonville Jaguars 2003-2008. And he spent his college days at the University of Oregon in Eugene. We'll get into that a little bit. We got a little heated rivalry going on with the Trojans and the Ducks. I mean, uh, is it is it is it really a rivalry though? I'm just asking. You, is it really a rivalry right now? Right now? I'm gonna tell you right now. You heard him talking. Mr. George Reister joins me today. George, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Rodney. You, you know, I was just asking a simple question because yeah, you because you said it's a rivalry, but but in rivalries, isn't the other person supposed to fight fight back? I mean, USC hasn't fought fought back against Oregon in quite some time. Well, well, you know, if you want to really get into the details of what a rivalry really is, let's just talk about uh, championships. I mean, you know, do you have to win a certain amount of championships before you can be considered a rivalry? You know, just because you guys have been, you know, pretty good in the last decade or so. Uh, Uh, Two couple couple decades. Does that make make it a rivalry? You know, you know, the, you know that the, the the Angels won a couple World Series. Do that? Do they make it a rivalry with the Dodgers? You know, the Clippers have made the playoffs. Is it a rivalry with the Lakers? You know, it, it, you still got a long way to go. So if you want to go down down that rabbit hole with USC and Oregon, George, we can certainly do that. But I'm trying to give you your props, though. Oregon has put together <laughs> a nice it. nice program and and all of that good stuff, man. Hey, but thanks for joining us today, George. It's all good. Always good to talk to you, man. Uh, known you for a while, so uh, how's everything going with you, man? Everything, everything is great. Uh, I do my regular show Monday through Friday on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel eighty two, 10, 10 p.m. Pacific. So you know, just just doing that, and then occasionally I get a chance to hang out with 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 you or with Petros or with with somebody else on five seventy. So it's always exciting. I always say yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we got a lot. I mean, you got a lot to get to uh, today. We're, you know, training camps are, are underway. We're going to get into that. You know, both of us spent some time in the NFL, and uh, we're going to get into what that means, training camp, what's that like as a rookie and as a veteran and what these guys are going through now and the difference between, you know, going to training camp as I started in 1989 and then what training camp looks like today in 2021. So we're, we're going to get into some football talk. We're going to bring our man Vinny Bonsignor on later on the show as well. Uh, we've got the Olympics going on, George. Uh, incidentally, George, are you are you watching any of the Olympics right now? As much as humanly possible. 
I mean, it, it's been with the with the time difference and with the way that the the networks have been doing it. It hasn't made it especially easy to watch some of kind of the the highlighted events. Like they have kind of um, made it difficult to watch the women's gym gymnastics and other like I, I. But I've watched a ton of it. I started watching fencing, which I was like, oh wow, this, <laughs> this is actually interesting. Understood the difference between saber and foil and 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 the other thing. I was watching uh, kayaking last last night. I think that that's probably the best thing about the Olympics is finding other sports that you're like, okay, this this is legit. No, no doubt. No doubt. Some of the sports that you would never in any other situation pay attention to, you start watching. I'm the same way. Obviously, you, you, you pay attention to the, the big-time Olympic sports like you know gymnastics and swimming and track and field and, and all those things. It's, it's good to see baseball is back in the Olympics. But I'm with you. I like those, those kind of off-the-beaten-path kind of, kind of sports that – that you know you you don't really pay attention to like I'm I'm a big fan of table tennis I, I love yes. watching table tennis it's it's incredible I like to think that I'm a pretty good table tennis player but when you watch these guys play I'm in no way shape or form anywhere close to their league um, the badminton I, I I like that I like to watch the badminton but yeah the fencing all those things is pretty cool and and obviously George the the big story coming out of the Olympics this week is Simone Biles and and her pulling out and uh, you know for to get her mental health right. And I, I do want to really get into that and dive into that because that's a story that is at the forefront. And, you know, obviously it, it really became at the forefront when Naomi Osaka pulled out of a couple tennis tournaments this summer uh, due to her, her anxiety and mental health reasons, uh, including French Open and, the, and Wimbledon. Now we've seen it from Simone Biles. And, you know, I don't know, you've been around, I've been around several athletes for, throughout our career and, you know, the mental aspect of the game is just as important as the physical aspect. It's not it more important. So I definitely want to dive into that. We also got some uh, some Laker talk. We're going to bring on Mark Medina, who's going to break down, uh, speaking of the Olympics, USA basketball. I want to get into that. And, and, and uh, you know, what we thought as, a, as USA uh, basketball as a lock to always win the gold medal, it just doesn't feel that way anymore. And they, they've got to have to work for it, but I still think they will. So we'll talk to Mark about that. But right off the top, George, we got to get into our Dodgers, man. And um, it's just, it, it feels like every game is, is a struggle for, for these Dodgers. And, and uh, just incidentally, we're going to keep an eye because the trade deadline is Friday and we will keep an eye today because we, we, a lot of us believe that something's going to happen in terms of Max Scherzer. There's going to be some sort of announcement either today or tomorrow. Um, so we will keep an eye and keep abreast of that through these three hours, three and a half hours that we're on and keep you updated on what's going on with that. Also, um, we do want to take your calls. We do want to take your Dodger calls, basically where where you feel the Dodgers are and adding someone like Scherzer. Is it something that the Dodgers should do? Um, because it came out that Scherzer is, is, uh, has three teams in mind, George. And the three teams he has in mind are the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Padres. All yes. three teams in the NL West. So makes it very interesting for whatever team gets him because I think can't, it's a distinct advantage and a big-time upgrade if one of the teams in the West can add Max Scherzer. Oh, easily. <laughs> He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. But, Rodney, I, I have to be honest about the Dodgers this season. 
and they're 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 sitting in second place in the in the NL West. And it's as a fan, this has been like granted, they're still going to go to the playoffs. They still have a chance to win a World Series, but this has been one of the more frustrating Dodger seasons that I can remember because expectations were so high coming off of a world series and then you got the dudes and you're like this could be a 115 120 game winner maybe the best team in baseball history regular season record wise and then they started out like gangbusters and then all of a sudden it was like the monsters stole their talent for a (laughs) for a few weeks and you're just like how do you drop like what, what what was it like 13 of 18 games or it was insane and then now you're like okay they can beat everybody but just close your eyes when they play against the Padres and Giants and and you're just like why can't they win and then it's a comedy of errors every single end of every game and you're just like okay how will we find a way to to uh to to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory today no, you, you're absolutely right, and, and last night, <laughs> no exception, but you're right, before the season, look, we, we were all jumping up and down going, this is a team that just won the World Series, and they got, they got better, and you look at them on paper, especially offensively, and you go, oh, there's not an a, a easy out in that lineup, and then you add what they have for the pitching staff, because remember, even last year during the World Series run, David Price has opted out, and now he's back. So the start of the season, like, okay, we're going to get David Price back. And then you add a guy like Trevor Bauer to that. Yes, and, you, and you're just like, oh, how, how is anybody going to score on you? Yes. How are they going to score? <laughs> yeah, and if they do, we'll just outscore you. And yep. so all of those things going, you know, going into the season, you're like, to your point, it's easily they're going to win 115, 116, maybe 120, break the all-time record. That's a, that's a given. And, and now we look up and they struggle. They have a multitude of injuries to key players throughout the year. And, and they're just not playing well right now, George. And then you've got the off-the-field issues with Trevor Bauer, how much that plays into it, which, by the way, I, you know, with the latest you know, delay and, and, and uh, an extension for his, uh, for his you know, comeback, I just don't know if he's ever going to be back in a Dodger uniform, especially this year. But man, I mean, and you, but but you got to look at it both sides too, because as bad as it's looked, and the games that they've lost have looked really bad. They can't score. When we talked, we just talked about the lineups. They can't score runs, and they're losing in ugly ways, like last night. But still, with all of that, they're only three games back. So they're hanging in there, hanging in there, but it doesn't look pretty. And and last night was no exception. It's like the Dodgers right now, they're finding ways to lose as opposed to finding ways to win. And I guess my my question to you, George, because we talked about this on this show a multitude of times of, okay, just it's just going to be a matter of getting the guys healthy again. Once we get everybody healthy again, we'll be all right. We'll be okay. We started saying that in April. Then we said it in May. Oh, they're not healthy. They're going to get healthy again. They got to get healthy. Said it in June. And now here we are at the end of July – and we still are waiting on some guys to get back. <laughs> to get healthy. 
Uh, yeah, but this, as, this as, is as what we're going to get some, the rest of the season, though, isn't it? Yep. Oh, oh, yes. And, and you just hope that they can put it all together come come playoff time. But the the thing I noticed though with with the Dodgers, one of the things that I pay attention to particularly with baseball teams is is the run differential, uh, that like through throughout the whole season. And the Dodgers have the best run differential in the entire league. They are plus 145. I mean, even with all of that, they're plus 145. So that just says that their offense is is outstanding, that they put up runs. It's a matter of them having the the uh, pitching, them not making errors, and giving up too many runs when it matters the, the most. Because when they win games, they're having offensive explosions. Like, it, it's not a question of... Can they do it? It's a matter of guys like Mookie Betts putting it t- t- together, who is not having one of his best seasons. You're, I mean, like if 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 you look at the the Dodgers roster, there is nobody, a grand total of no players hitting over three hundred, none, and yet they're still able to uh, do it. And like that's something that they're going to need to pick up. Is the consistency uh, hitting when it when it matters the most, clutch moments, and not blowing leads in the eighth and ninth inning? Yeah, they the whole season has been really undodger like. As you mentioned, you know, scoring runs, and yes, they've scored a lot of runs, but but it's it's been in bunches in games where you know they they blown people out, and I think that is kind of misleading to the to the point where they also left a lot of guys on base. They they yeah. they've not scored. When there's been tight ball games, and normally in the past, at least in the last three or four years, Dodgers found a way to win those games. They found a way to put it together. The Dodgers were the team that was going to wear you down through a nine-inning game, get to your bullpen, and then find a way to win in the end. And the exact opposite is happening to this team right now. They're finding ways. Like last night, perfect example. You know, they get ahead, one nothing. Giants tie it up. They have opportunities. It gets to the eighth inning. And, and unfortunately, you feel this. I mean, this is a team, like I said, just came off the World Series, so you're feeling we, we've got a really good team. But of late, you feel like, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to go wrong? Instead of, okay, the Dodgers are going to find a way to win this game. Yeah. It's they were the, the walk-off kings last yes. year. They were the walk-off yes. kings. Like if, if they had a chance in the end of the game, you were like, oh, here comes Max Muncy. Here comes Chris Taylor. Here comes Mookie Betts. Here comes uh, B- Bellinger, yeah. uh, whoever it is. Oh, this this game's over, and the other team was like, okay, I uh, know we're going to get walked off right now. This year, the uh, the uh, team's like, just just keep it close until the eighth and ninth, and we will pull this game out. It yeah. it it's almost like a football, like a college football analogy, where where teams that were like the quote unquote better team and a more talented team just leans on you until the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden the dam breaks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks like you know, they put, you know, and, and it finds you, George. You know, in, in, in athletics, you, you always say, you know, when somebody's struggling or a team is struggling, the ball will always find you. And they moved Cody Bellinger to first base last night to really kind of take care of his ailing hamstring so he doesn't have to stretch it out and run too hard in center field. They put him at first base, and now all is good until the eighth inning. It comes to a play where he's got to make a play and have not playing first base at all this season, he's playing and put in a situation in a critical moment in the game where there's a double play opportunity, which is a, was a great running 
uh, a job by the Giants player to to stay in a rundown. They get the out at first, and Cody makes the pump fake the second, and then overthrows Justin at third base, and they score the go-ahead run, and the Dodgers end up losing the game. That is kind of the story of this team this year, and I guess I wonder, you know, we keep saying, oh, they're going to get over this. They're going to get. They're going to find their groove. They're going to find their groove. They haven't found their groove, George. And is this what we're going to look at? Yeah, and that and that makes fans nervous because you're saying, all right, cool, we still have a team that can beat anybody because you can get up on anybody. It's and now you're like, how do we maintain leads? And some of that has to do with the bullpen. I mean, because if you're a Dodgers fan, this whole Dave Roberts play by the computer, uh, you know, trust your bullpen. It, this this don't feel like the way to go win a, a World Series this year. And I'm not pressing the panic button, but I am saying, uh, are we sure that we maybe don't need another pitcher and uh, and, be, and be willing to let these guys go deeper as the playoffs start? Because uh, you don't know how these arms are going to perform. And they're clearly not getting it done at the level that they need to at this point. So... If you're trying to win a World Series this year, you're saying maybe we need to add something. Yeah, and that's interesting because I, I've i said this while well, I've been preaching this for a while is we need to go back to the 1970s and 80s where your starter is is throwing complete games. He's going deep and he's going at least into the eighth and, and maybe the ninth, especially if he's going good. Because the frustrating thing, and there are many frustrating points about this team this year, the frustrating thing is that you look up and you see a Julio Urias and you see a Walker Bueller and Kershaw when he was in and, and some of the other guys that have gone six, seven innings of pitching lights out and, and then the bullpen has let them down. And so maybe it is a time to probably switch around a little thing, you know, a little, a few things and go, okay, we're going to let some of our guys pitch a complete game. Because we're struggling late in the games, let's let our guy go all the way. But analytics steps in the way of that, George. You know how the game is played right now. It steps in the way of that. But we'll figure it out. We're going to keep an eye on the Max Scherzer watch and see what's happening with the trade. And we'll talk a lot more Dodgers throughout the rest of the show. Also, we want to take your calls um, throughout the rest of the show. We got a lot to talk about. We got Olympics. We we've got. Uh, We've got training camp and football. We've also got some Laker talk. We've also got some Olympic USA basketball, which we'll do on the other side of this. Lots to talk about, but we haven't forgot about you. We are going to take your calls on what you think the Dodgers should do in terms of trading to get Max Scherzer. All right, we're going to switch a little gears and get into some basketball with our man Mark Medina on the other side. Is USA a lock to win the gold? And... What are the Lakers going to do? We're still on that watch as well. George Reister in for Fred Rogan, AM570 LA Sports. Let us give you money. Your chance to win $1,000 is right now. Text the nationwide keyword. Hope to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Once again, that's Hope to 200-200. Good luck. AM 570 LA Sports. Thanks for joining us on your ride. Thank you very much. Yes. Speaking of which, traffic. Bringing you LA's best sports talk weekdays, noon to three. Rogan and Rodney. 
today my man george reister he also is the host of the reister or wrong podcast check him out my good friend uh all right george um let's switch some gears man and get into some basketball on all fronts i want to uh i want to talk uh olympics i also want to talk some lakers nba trades all those things and let's bring on the man the man that can get it get it done for us and talk to us all about that good stuff uh, he's our NBA insider, also covers the NBA for USA Today, our man, Mark Medina. Mark, how you doing? Rodney, George, good to see you guys. Rodney, are you uh, carrying the ship now that Fred's out? I am driving the boat, Mark. I'm driving the boat. Nice. So you know this what that is your means. team now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that means. Anything goes, man. We can, we can it, talk uh, you know, cooking tips. We can talk dog walking. We can talk all things, man. <laughs> but let's, let's. I'm probably not good on the cooking tips, but uh, I'll try to roll with it. Um, let's start with this, Mark. Let's consistent. We're right in it. I want to start with the Olympics and just your thoughts on USA basketball and and how it's going. Obviously, the loss to France. They lost to Australia. I think before they got before they took off. Um, you know, they had a big win over Iran, which I think everybody expected. Um, but just your take on on the team and. I know everybody expects them to win gold. Are you in that camp that they will win the gold? I expect that they'll win gold, but they also have to put in the work here. And, you know, I talked with Charles Barkley before the game against Iran, and I was trying to gauge just what his level of concern was. And he was saying he's concerned because they're they're no longer that invincible team that they once were. I mean, you guys might remember back in 92 – when they were the dream team and Chuck said, you know, I don't know anything about Angola, but they're in trouble. Times have changed there. But even when you account for all, like, the external circumstances of, you know, the, the games become more global, there's better competition, the circumstances with this season of a compressed turnaround time and, you know, just guys being thrown together onto a team, all those factors still should not add up to the U.S. struggling on the world stage. They still have NBA star players, uh, even if you know guys like LeBron James and Steph Curry and James Harden and Kyrie Irving aren't there. They have guys like Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard. So while I do trust that they will still win gold, um, they do have a lot of work ahead of them to make sure that you know they can still hum on a consistent basis. And the Iran game was a much-needed step in the right direction with that. Uh, Mark, how much do you think that that has to do with style of play in terms of the feeble rules where there aren't as many ticky-tack foul calls and you don't get these swipe-throughs and all of that versus the NBA, which is officiated completely differently? Well, I think that's certainly a factor. And you looked at the France loss in particular. Kevin Durant was getting in foul trouble, but still – that it still falls in the same category of, hey, it's an external circumstance, but still shouldn't uh, equate to all of a sudden Team USA struggling. Their talent and their hustle alone should still get them to be able to dominate teams, even against really good teams like France or Spain, which has the Gasol brothers and had competitive gold medal matches against the U.S. team in 2008-2012. 
And, you know, I don't want to put this blame on Greg Popovich specifically because, in fairness, the U.S. still could have won the game against France if they just didn't get foul trouble. They made shots. Damian Lillard didn't slip on a a final play. Um, But I think that he seemed to be getting in the guy's way where it was so much about running certain plays and making certain passes where instead of just letting guys play free – and while I understand that there needs to be some sort of structure and teamwork and not just roll the ball out, especially in these circumstances, the best thing that Team USA can do to chip away at the kind of learning curve of not playing together is just, you know, make things simple, run pick and rolls, let guys do what they do to make them feel comfortable. And I think that pop showed a little bit of that. Uh, openness in the Iran game. So we'll see if that'll continue moving forward. Uh, Mark Medina joins us. Uh, hey, Mark, you mentioned Charles Barkley and, and you know what he was saying about Angola. And I, I had a chance to really talk to Magic Johnson about that dream team and their mindset of, you know, we're going to go beat you by 50 if we can. And, and that was that was the mindset that they were not going to let anyone even have a remote thought that they could beat the U.S. team. And it feels that it's not the, I guess the attitude is not the same as it once was. Do you think it matters as much to these guys today as it did back then when the Dream Team was uh, in 92? Yeah, I think it certainly matters. And, um, you know, I think that what was a little bit challenging with the circumstances with this season Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton just joining the team on a a red-eye flight after playing in the NBA Finals. And even if the 92 team was thrown together at the last minute, they at least had a little bit more time to practice than this year's team because of the compressed pandemic NBA schedule. So, like, I don't think the lack of motivation is an issue. I think it was more of they were allowing themselves – to get paralyzed with trying to appease the coaching staff and all that. But I think as a result of that, that made teams, you know, not as afraid against (laughs) Team USA, right? So while there definitely is something to be said that you don't have a lot of the commitment from the top guys this year as as it was in the past, I think that had more to do with guys facing a challenging season, wanting to make sure that their injuries weren't an issue next season. Um, But again, they still have, should have what it takes for all these external things not to be issues at all on the global stage because they still, at the end of the day, have the most talent. Well, the the question is for Team USA, how do they get those the best players in the world back engaged with being on team USA. Yeah, I honestly, I think with the Olympics, that's going to course correct the next go around, you know, again, the the decommitments from this year, a lot of it had to do with the compressed season of this past year, where when you look at 2016, 2012, 2008, there was uh, above and beyond commitment from everyone. I think the only exception was in 2016 when Steph Curry was dealing with some ankle issues and he was concerned about what that would mean moving forward. But I I trust that for the Paris games in 2024, it'll be back to normal as far as the level of buy-in of all the top guys wanting to sign up for the Olympic team. 
Yeah, I get you. Uh, one more uh, Olympic question, Mark. I, I, do you do you think that because this team is constructed with a lot of scores, um, that that them playing together that's been kind of an adjustment? Because you think about the team of you've got you know Durant, Dame Lillard. Uh, you, you got these guys, Jason Tatum. You got these guys on their team, and on their respective teams, they're the go-to guy. They're expected to get thirty a night. Um, and, and now they're not necessarily going to get that in, in these Olympic games. How much of a factor do you think that is? I think it, it was definitely a factor in the France game, but kind of in the other way around where instead of guys were you know fighting over touches, they're almost being too deferential. And so I think you know in the Iran game, people weren't as concerned about making the extra pass if there was an open shot. I do have some question marks on why certain guys were chosen. Like I, I still don't understand why Trey Young hadn't been selected after Bradley Beal, you know, had to leave because of protocols. You know, no disrespect to JaVel McGee, but like him being on Team USA when, you know, he's not like an all star caliber player, that doesn't really sit well. So I think that there are fair questions to be asked of why certain guys were left off. But I think you know, because Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard, those guys who are proven scorers and number one guys, because they're on the team, I think that they still should have enough uh, to do what it takes. And now it's about, you know, making sure that they can match, uh, you know, the level of coaching and, and effort with their talent. Yeah. Um, Mark Medina joins us here on Rogan and Rodney, AM570 LA Sports. Mark, let's switch gears to the NBA and what's going to happen in the offseason, especially for the Lakers now. Uh, a lot of names been thrown out there. Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, um, Russell Westbrook. Uh, a lot of names been thrown out there. Where do you see uh, any one of those names and what the Lakers might do with those names in terms of adding some production to their offense and how big of an off season is this for Rob Polinka? Oh, this is a huge off season for Rob Polinka. Well, I mean, he had the challenging task and the pressure to get Anthony Davis, but here now it's going to reveal, okay, can he put the right supporting cast around LeBron James, and Anthony Davis? And I'm in the minority here. I don't fault Rob Polinka for not bringing a lot of the championship band back together uh, in terms of keeping Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard, um, and JaVel McGee. I think there was a thinking of if you can get younger, that'll infuse, you know, more energy to a team that might be struggling with health and, you know, in age. But I think it was clear that the guys that they got last year as alternatives weren't ready for the moment when LeBron and AD, you know, were battling injuries during the postseason. So how can he thread that needle? And it's going to be tough. They only have the number 22 pick. I don't sense that they're going to be able to, to trade up in the draft. So what is the, where does that lead them? They have a mid-level exception. And then, you know, it comes down to can they offer enough of enticements to include Kyle Kuzma and Contavious Caldwell-Pope in trade packages? And if they re-sign Dennis Schroeder, can they do a sign-and-trade? And so I think with all those things in place, I would be very surprised of them getting like a Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook. So I think someone like DeMar DeRozan is most realistic where, you know, he would have to take some sort of pay cut if, if they don't do a sign-and-trade. It would only be the mid-level. But, uh, you know, if the, if the Lakers can manufacture 
some good young talent and some draft picks to San Antonio. It would be a tough ask because, you know, this, I don't think the Spurs would be inclined to want to help the Lakers, but if they can give enough assets to sweeten that deal, I could see that happening. But I think from a chemistry standpoint and from a cap standpoint, I, I don't see how the, these Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook ideas would pan out. I mean, that, that would, I think, uh, you know, require them to take significant pay cuts, which they can only draw the line so much, number one. But number two, even if, you know, Chris Paul is a good friend with LeBron James and Russell Westbrook is this great competitor, like I think that that could lead to more problems than not because LeBron's a great playmaker as well. Um, and you would now have three stars with one ball instead of two. Um, so I, I see the DeMar DeRozan route being a lot more realistic, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, so how do you think that the Lakers should necessarily balance? You know, we we are living in the last days of LeBron, LeBron in terms of years, but like in terms of winning now versus not mortgaging the uh, future for Lakers fans. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that the. I certainly don't think that the Lakers should view this as a balance because I think it's all about given the championship window that they can for LeBron and AD, knowing that there's only going to be so many years left that they have. I think the challenge is, you know, what assets do they have that can get them a better supporting cast? And honestly, they don't really have much. I mean, Kyle Kuzma and Contavious Caldwell Pope to a man are decent young role players, but like, what's that going to yield in trades? Um, Dennis Schroeder, like, I think that no matter what, well, I don't want to say no matter what, but the Lakers should be all about trying to re-sign him because because they're over the cap. It's not like they can let him walk and they can get someone to the same price in return. Like So they can re-sign him over the cap, but now it's about, okay, can they use that in a deal that can get them something? And the fact that he wasn't reliable – in the playoffs, I think that there will be other contending teams that might, you know, question that. So I think the challenge isn't so much the philosophy of where should the Lakers go from here. It's clearly about, you know, putting it all in for LeBron and AD. But the challenge is how do they execute it because of the assets or lack thereof that they have. No, I get it. I get it. It's going to be challenging. It's the year for uh, for Rob Palinka. The pressure is definitely on. Mark, thanks for joining us, man. Great stuff. Hey, Roddy, thanks so much for having me. And you're you're great at being the number one guy. It <laughs> seems like uh, you've had this experience during your play playing mm. career of you know having to be ready on the sideline mm. on a given notice. Yeah, I've called a few signals in my day. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, man. You got it. The circus is back. The circus is back. Escape rooms, virtual reality, indie, classic arcade video games, custom built midway games, robots, bros, grub. Two bit circus is the world's first micro amusement park with multi person VR games and more. Now open in downtown LA. Info at twobitcircus.com. All right, like I said, we got the full spectrum of sports today. It's a big, big, gigantic Wednesday show. We're going to talk a little college football, some expansion. What should the Big Big Ten and the Pac-12 do? They merge. All of that coming up next. 
Break the dishware. Don't flush the toilet. Oh, gross. Trample the flowers. Plain rude. Those are just some of the ways to disrespect someone in their own home. The Blue are in Oracle Park to take on the Giants tonight. Morongo Casino Dodgers on deck kicks off at 5.30. Time to take back the West. And now another Rogan and Rodney. Oh, yeah! Afternoon delight. I stay afraid of my demons. I don't got no one to lean on. I'm busy putting my team on. Hit us pull up with the beamer. I put that girl in a beamer. She make a mess and she clean up. She call a friend and named Tina. I turn the two or three song. Oh, yeah. Today, Afternoon Delight is Better Believe by Belly. This song will appear on the 37-year-old's upcoming album entitled See You Next Wednesday, which will be released soon. The track features Young Thug and The Weeknd and was accompanied by a music video that was that has already amassed over 11 million views since being posted over the weekend. Again, today's afternoon delight is Better Believe by Belly featuring The Weeknd and Young Thug. And I know, George, you love some Young Thug. Uh, yeah, it's it's the uh, I I think I think my kids love Young Thug more than probably I listen to a Young Thug. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean. Like I'm I I, I I feel like I've reached the age of where the uh, where where kings of comedy and that and that whole I I I don't want my t-shirt wet from bullets. I want my t-shirt wet from making love. <laughs> I've reached that age. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I know you 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 don't want to be the old player in the club, George. I get that. Uh, but no, that's how I step on it. The kids know more than I do these days about what is what is on the what is on the charts and what's hot and what's not. Um all right, George, I want to get your take on this whole, you know, merger thing super conference we just seen you know saw texas and oklahoma uh, officially get uh moving to the sec in in the next few years um your thoughts on that and this is is this the official beginning of the end of the ncaa as we know it are we going to see super conferences or one big super conference first on texas and oklahoma and then where do you see this going the first thing is, is Texas and Oklahoma, they clearly went for the money like that. They knew that they were the they are the best thing that the Big 12 has. They are the biggest brands. Um, and truthfully, with the eight teams that are left, there's not a lot that's super attractive to other conferences. Like like if I say to you, Rodney. Oh, because people were saying, oh, that maybe the Pac-12 can absorb these teams. Okay, well, the Pac-12 is already going to be trying to negotiate a new TV contract. And the only partners that you want to add are teams that are going to move the needle. So if you are the Big Ten, ACC, or Pac-12, Rodney, if I say... Texas Tech to the Pac-12. How, how how does that? Oh yeah, mm. let's go, baby. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. Oh Kansas. <laughs> you know no. what I mean? Uh, o- Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU. That doesn't mean they're bad programs, but they don't move. That like your TV contract is not going to go up because you no. add those teams. At one point, you might have said you know Nebraska could be one of those, but not anymore. They haven't been really yeah. that relevant in the last decade or so. So 
No, there's not yeah, another it, team in the, in the Big 12 that you would say, oh, yeah, let's get them in the Pac-12. Exactly. And if you're the SEC, right, you know that – so the, the SEC just signed a new – uh, contract with with ESPN and they're going to and that means that those games that were on CBS are no longer going to be on there the the game of the week so you're going to have pretty much every single SEC game on either ESPN or their their families ESPN2 ESPNU or on ABC that's what you're going to have. They're going to be taking up all that oxygen. So now by adding Texas and Oklahoma, Texas and Oklahoma, were like, okay, hold up. We're in the Big 12. Like, yeah, we get on ESPN some, we get on Fox some, but but we need to figure out a way that we have consistent uh, vis- visibility. And there weren't a whole lot of options. And they chose to abandon their conference instead of trying to figure something else out. And so I do believe that there's going to be an initial push toward, oh, well, from other conferences saying we need to expand. But in reality, you have to be very strategic about who you add. And I actually think that there are, that the Pac-12, that this has actually helped their position in terms of being able to grow tv contracts and all that because you have the acc who's locked into a deal until 2036 that just it it just looks terrible and the and the only way that they can get out of that deal with that they partner with with espn is to either do a scheduling like co-conference thing with either the Big Ten or the Pac-12. So their desperation can help the Pac-12. And then when you look at the Pac-12 itself, they have the tie-in with the Big Ten and the Rose Bowl. So people are used to seeing those Big Ten, Pac-12 matchups. So if you can create essentially like an East and West for for the, for the conference and now um, – and now you're dealing with Fox and CBS on your TV rights. Now that can put the conference and the between the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in a very unique p- position to even outpace the SEC and the amount of money that they're able to generate. Yeah, no, I see that as, as, as something that's coming, you know, in, in the very new future. I, I like that idea of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten merging and, and as you mentioned east and west because you still have the usc and oregon's and ucla and washington some still you know the powerhouses out here and occasionally you're gonna you know you're gonna have a, a utah or arizona state in the mix that kind of can can perform well but then you got obviously the michigans and ohio states and penn states so your demographics around the country would be extraordinary if they were to merge and then able being able to to keep the Rose Bowl in play for both the conferences and that mega conference, I see that eventually could trump what whatever the SEC is doing if the Big Big Ten and the Pac-12 were to merge. Yeah, man. That see, and you would actually be able to keep those those, those tie-ins, those historical tie-ins, which matter so so much. And if you really pay attention to what the SEC was attempting to to do with with this is all right, 
and I know that this is going to sound a little conspiracy theory esque, but but now imagine this for me, Rodney. Rodney, picture picture this: you had the Notre Dame commissioner, Swar, I'm sorry, uh, athletic director Swarbrick, the head of the uh, Mountain West Conference, and you had the Big Twelve commissioner Bob Bowsley and the SEC commissioner Greg Sankey. All four of them are the ones that came up with the 12-team playoff expansion model, right? So while this is going on, they're talking about expanding the 12 teams. The Big 12 commissioner and, and SEC commissioner are working closely. Four guys came up with this. They, uh, the SEC commissioner, along with Texas and Oklahoma, were going behind the Big 12 commissioner's back. And coming up with this 12-team playoff and then the and then Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC. And then that means that the SEC is going to be in position in their mind to say, hold up. We got all these blue bloods. We have these national brands. We want five teams in the playoff each year, six teams in the playoff each year. So they actually strengthen their position in the playoff for uh if the expansion happens because they were colluding behind the big 12 commissioners back so if i were him i'd be hot i may be willing to 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 blow up the bridge while i'm standing on it (laughs) just to make sure that that doesn't happen 